Are you ready, Sean? I'm ready, Brendan. Let's do this. Welcome to There and Back Again. And again. I am Sean. I'm Brendan. And we are here for what we would call a very special episode. Each episode is special. We don't want to single any out or make any feel better than the others. But this is a very special episode because we are talking about something that we both love. We both love football. It is indeed a very great sport. And so the film of choice today comes from Brendan's top 10 list, Remember the Titans. We are excited to talk about it, not just because of the sport that it represents and that it highlights in the film, but because it's just a great story. And right now, it is football season. Yes, we are several weeks in now to football season. It is another thing that has bonded us over the years, aside from the movies and TV shows that we'll talk about that will, you know, for the most part, dominate the the main conversation on this podcast. You know, we'd be remiss if we didn't occasionally touch on what's going on between our favorite team, which is Michigan football, as well as fantasy football. Uh, We talked in our intro episode about how you and I are in a league together that uh, started back when we were in college. We're going on something like 15 years now, I think. Mm -hmm. You and I are the, the two most recent champions. You won two years ago. I won just last season. It was the first time either of us had won this particular league. And how's your team doing so far? You know, it's not a bad season. You know, all around football is going well, not just for Michigan football, obviously, but, but yeah, my fantasy teams, I'm in two leagues and my teams are three and one at the moment, which in one league surprised me very much. In the other league, I had an amazing, I don't want to brag. I had a pretty darn good draft. And so I picked up both. I picked up McCaffrey, Mahomes, Diggs. So that team has very good weeks on most weeks that their quarterbacks do well. So, so yeah, three and one in both leagues and you know, looking forward to seeing how that goes. I tend to go into most weekends, not terribly confident and then check the scores and then I kind of like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm doing all right. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah. Now let me throw the question back at you. How's it going? Well, you and I played each other week one. And it was it was close. It was it was very close. All I needed on Monday Night Football was like six points from Josh Allen, or no, I think I needed maybe ten points from Josh Allen, and he gave me six because he threw like three interceptions to the same guy, and that was just kind of really an omen for how this season was going to go. I'm I'm about to be zero and four after you know tonight's matchup solidifies the current results. Of course, I had a great game from Josh Allen this week, but I was playing against Stephon Diggs, who caught three of his touchdowns, so that basically canceled that out. I've lost Nick Chubb and Mike Williams both to season-ending injuries already. Uh, I made the decision to draft Cooper Cup, and he might come back soon, but at that point, I don't think it'll matter because I'll be so far behind. Oh, and I also played against Raheem Mostert last week when he scored four touchdowns. And then, you know, the kicker position is kind of a a roll of the dice most weeks, but the guy I drafted was not doing so hot. So I decided, Oh, let me pick up the guy who hit four 50 plus yard field goals in one game last week. And of course, yesterday he misses his one and only field goal attempt and gives me zero points. 
And then before last week, another guy in our league and myself, we were both 0-2. He just barely had waiver priority over me. He picked up a guy I really wanted. And then we played each other that week. And of course, he stashes the guy that I wanted on his bench. He scores two touchdowns on my opponent's bench, and I lose. And then I'm there's one other guy in the league who's 2-1 and one after week three. And he and I were right about almost exactly the same points scored overall for our teams. But he's 2-1 and one because my points against is 130 more than his was. And after this week, it's going to be way worse because I'm playing like the top scorer in the league again. So I just had to vent about that a little bit. And I'm also playing against, it seems like, the best team every week. It's not how I wanted my championship defense to go, but it's, it's clearly just not my year. I'm 3-1 and one in my two other leagues, and that's okay, cool. That's nice. But this is the league that matters most to me. It's like it's my baby. And yeah. It's it's not going well. So got that. No, last, last season was a great season and now it's turning out like like the Rams after they won the Super Bowl. Just kind of what's yeah. going on. No one really knows what's going on with the team, but I I still like to believe. We talk about this every week. I have hope. I think you can bounce back, but I know you're being realistic here. So I will not stop trying. You know, again, my my biggest hope is that Cooper Cup comes back and is an all pro type receiver for the rest of the year, but I still just don't know if it's gonna be enough. So we'll see. But we'll see. Michigan Michigan's five and oh. You know, they haven't right. really played any real great teams yet, but you know, take care of business. They're, it's not their fault. The schedule is what it is. So we'll just keep looking ahead to some of the big matchups down the road, like Penn State, Ohio State and yep. see how that goes. But you know, I would gladly trade all the fantasy success in the world for a Michigan to win a national championship. So and that's what we're hoping for this year. That is what we're hoping for. Anything Just ride all these wins all the way to the playoffs. Yeah. Anything less would be a disappointment. Right. Would at least like to see them, you know, get back to the playoff and actually win the playoff game. So they will, they will. This is the year. This is, it's going to happen. We can hope. I believe in Michigan football. <laughs> Well, yeah. So it's so it's football season, and we are we are deep in it, and we are loving it. And it just so happens that twenty three years ago, this past weekend, was the release of the movie that we are talking about today. And remember the Titans. Fitting that we just put it here. We're I mean, we're selecting films from our top tens, but we we wanted to go through this one because it's a great story, but also because it is football season and near the beginning of it. And I didn't even realize when we started talking about this one and watching it that it was. Almost it was it was last weekend, twenty three years ago that it was released. So that was kind of cool. But, yeah, I didn't notice that either. Like even when I like I'm the one that like wrote down the release date. But man, I still didn't even occur to me. Like oh yeah, that was basically exactly this time all those years ago. Yeah. So this film would have just graduated college recently. So yeah. Right. Wow, we're old. We are. But, so so remember the Titans, directed by Boaz Yakin Yakin Boaz. Sorry, Boaz, I got your last name wrong, but. Yeah, I'm glad you were the one to try and tackle that. I'm sure that, yeah. <laughs> but filmed in Georgia, and but based in Alexandria, Virginia, not far from where I was just living not too long ago. And so it's it's yeah. it's cool to see all of that take place, knowing some of the settings and stuff now. But man, 23 years ago, what were you doing? Oh man, I in the fall of 2000, I would have been in sixth grade no seventh grade 
because then I graduated eighth grade in 2002. So yeah, I think I would have been first part of seventh grade year. So yeah, I, I don't remember when I first saw this movie. Don't, I don't remember even if I saw it in theaters or not. What about you? I, yeah, so I, I was just coming out of, yeah, seventh grade going into eighth grade, I think that year, I think. I'm going to say yes. Yeah, that was going into eighth grade that year and just starting at a new school. So I remember we had done something either with the school or through like a local radio station where my parents had won tickets to go see the movie on opening weekend. And back then, I'll fully admit, I didn't have any love for football yet. I didn't have a lot of familiarity with the sport other than that I was always a fan of Michigan football. And I knew that well enough to know I was a fan of the game, but I didn't follow football enough to be able to keep up with games at all. But anyway. So we went opening weekend, me and my parents, they wanted to do something fun for me. And so we we saw that. And after that, yeah, I just remember falling in love with football after seeing the movie and falling in love with the story and everything too. But it was nice to have that experience of seeing in the theaters with a huge crowd of people opening weekend as, as it is with any film. But I went out a couple of days later and bought my first NCAA football game on PlayStation 2 and learned about football. I learned about all the rules of football and all the, you know, the different plays and, you know, just the ins and outs. And that's, I guess that's how I caught the football bug after that, but truly inspired by this movie for, for part of it. So that's awesome. I really wish I could remember the circumstances around the first time I saw this. I don't, I don't know if I saw it when it was new, maybe it was a few years. We might've rented it. I, I honestly have no clue. The main thing I remember about sort of my, my history with this movie is if you will, I do remember, you know, I, I had definitely seen it by the time I got to college, maybe even owned it at that point, because I do remember in college, especially freshman year, like me and my my roommate, shout out Greg Klauka, we loved this movie and we quoted it all the time and we watched it a ton. Like we watched this movie a ton freshman year of college. So that's like the main memory I have associated with this movie and how it kind of, you know, made its way into my top 10. Because it really is like one of the most quotable movies in my in my list, at least. So yeah, it's it was certainly a blast to go back and, and watch it again after it had been a few years. Yeah, and and in talking about obviously we have history with the movie, which is great and all, but we did have to say that in, in talking about this film, we have to definitely talk about the the titan sized elephant in the room. Of <laughs> it is as with any biographical autobiographical film that comes out nowadays based on a true story and when they say sometimes when hollywood when they say based sometimes they that's where they got names and that's all and with this one it's it's no different and we have come to terms with that there's a lot of things in this film that if you did your research enough you would find it's not always 100 throughout straight historically accurate film there are a lot of good things in it, and there are a lot of things that it's based on that are well worth researching. But there are, understandably, some liberties taken in order to tell the story the way they tell it. Definitely. Yeah, it's, you know, it's definitely been Disney-fied. You know, I don't know from the original script, which from what I've read was very, would have very much been like an R-rated movie. Lots of profanity, lots of yeah. words, you know, probably, I would assume a lot of N-words used by white people directed at the black people which would have been you know a tough watch but of course would have been a, probably a more historically accurate representation of of some of the events that went on 
but yeah, it's, it definitely doesn't ruin the experience of the movie or anything, knowing how they've changed some of the, some of the events that happened. But yeah, you're right. There's definitely been, they, they've taken some characters and a very loose kind of version of, of what happened and, and made obviously what is an excellent movie and probably in some ways a little bit easier to stomach than the real, like a more realistic one might've, might've been. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so for the sake of our discussion today, we didn't want to get too bogged down in all of the, the details of all those different things, but we did want to touch on them as we, as we go throughout. And, and one of them had to do with the actual, the name of the high school itself. That's, I mean, it's said several times throughout the film. It's a big part of it. Yeah. TC Williams, the TC it's, it's named after Thomas Chambliss. I'm not sure how you say that middle name Williams. He used to be a superintendent in that school district and finally, just two years ago, two years ago, they changed the name of this school because he was, you'll never guess, an segregationist. So this movie that is about segregating after being segregated was named after a segregationist and they only changed the name two years ago. <laughs> when I read that, I was like, on one hand, it's like, okay, how? But on the sa- on the other hand, it's like, okay, but I can also believe that because obviously, like sometimes those things are just very slow to to happen. But yeah, so yeah, it's it's now named Alexandria City High School. Very neutral name. Well done, guys. Good change. Yeah, and appropriate because that's the city it's in, so it makes sense. I'm sure they've joined all the schools together by this point. So right. But yeah, so as as the film, as we get into this, and as the film opens here, I love the opening. I love the two different kind of ways this movie gets set up. First with sort of a bit of a, you know, something that we'd call a Nolan thing to do, but it's a time jump. Yeah. And we're immediately in what would be regarded as the narrator's present day, Cheryl's present day of the players, the coaches, and families attending a funeral. Right. And obviously none of us know prior, prior to watching the story whose funeral we're at here. Right. Yeah. First of all, well done on sneaking a Nolan reference into the remember. The- <laughs> We're going to try for every single one here. Thing now, yes. But yeah, the, the first thing that hits me with this scene is the score. I obviously, something that I tend to talk about pretty much any movie that we watch is it's, mm-hmm. it's just a very emotional, you know, very moving uh, type of, of score over this scene. Or like you said, we don't really know what's going on, but it has some, you know, certainly some sad vibes to it. And of course, you know, we come back to that at the end of the movie. But uh, Trevor Rabin, or Rabin, we have some issues with pronunciation in this episode, but... We apologize to everybody. Yeah. Not a lot of super well-known behind-the-scenes people in this movie compared to some of the other ones as far as their their names go. But yeah, it's, it's a nice, it's kind of a moving opening to the movie before it's it's a pretty rough transition to the next scene really yeah i love how they got right into it though like this this, this, there was not a whole lot of time taken on just like character buildup or anything because i mean this is all purely there are obviously standout characters but this is a story driven film it's all about what takes place with the whole of the story here and the themes that are talked about so immediately they dive right into the racial tensions right in virginia at the time yeah and this is, I mean, for us, this is where we had to, I mean, so I'll just take a step back for a second. We made the decision to watch this movie with our sons and yeah. which was an amazing experience and something that 
we, we want to do with as many of these films we watch as possible to show them to our kids, especially if they're our favorites, if we can. There's going to be plenty of on our list that we can't yeah. yet. Right. But this was one that because of the issues within the film and the, you know, and the conversation points and the fact that it is toned down to a certain level, we could show this one to our sons. And so we, we took the opportunity to sit down with them, watch it and allow for the time to be able to talk about certain things that happen in the film. And so, yeah, so for us, this was the first time that we had to pause in the movie and kind of talk about the reasons why these different riots or protests or things were happening in the time. Yeah. And and how some of those things are still still seen today. And so, yeah, so they have this protest at the beginning of the film with, I think the events are the fact that a, that a white store owner shot a black teenager. And I yeah. guess from what I shot and killed, which is awful. And I tried to look back and see if this was based on an actual event that happened in the time. And there were similar events that happened in the area. So I'm guessing this is one of those things that they didn't really want to reference something very specific and kind of make the movie about that, but it's kind of more of an amalgamation of different things that happened in the area. So, yeah. So yeah, but, but I mean, it really like shows like the heat of what's going on here in this town and that it's not just segregation, but it is pure violent hostility. Yeah. And, and so they're immediately addressing that and showing how it's not at all sugarcoated or blanketed from the players, but they're, they're right up in it as well. Yeah. It's crazy to think, you know, it's, 1971 in the movie and if you think about it like that to us that feels like a long time ago but it's really not that long ago you know our, our parents were alive when that stuff was happening and our none of our family was like from the south you know things were were different but any you think even going back further like this is only like just a little over 100 years since slavery was made illegal you know in the civil war and that's it feels like a long time but in the scope of you know all of history it's really not very long so it's just hard to wrap your head around like watching and just like the pure hatred that so many of these people had against black people just because they're black and it just it doesn't make sense and it it's hard to understand why but yeah i, I did i felt like you know again for for a disney movie you know kind of keeping that in mind it was it was a good a good start to just kind of showing how 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 things would have been and even the play right. these are high schoolers but they've obviously been like indoctrinated in this culture of segregation and and blatant racism and they're they're just as much a part of it as as anybody else yeah and Cheryl talks about at the beginning of the film like the the obviously the events are are that tension at the beginning of the film but now that's coupled with the fact that the schools, these schools have been forced to integrate, you know, the school boards have integrated and now they, as a joint school board have said, like the schools are coming together now, no more of this segregation we're integrating. And so you can feel from the very beginning, nobody's regardless of race, nobody's really happy about this at, at the beginning here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, all the, all the players, are afraid that they're going to lose their job to somebody like lose their starting position to, you know, a player that's coming from another school who's probably, you know, a different race. Nobody is, is remotely interested in the beginning in working together. And which is obviously the basis for everything that happens, you know, from this point on. But I, I, I thought it was really interesting. It's a really nice little detail. So the, you know, the, the integration was actually something that had already happened. Mm-hmm. before this year 
in real life. There were three high schools in Alexandria that were already integrated years before that. But this, what was actually happening, was a consolidation of those three high schools into one, which T.C. Williams was one of the high schools, and they were all going to in, or like consolidate and be T.C. Williams. One, the, the detail I'm talking about is you can see like the shirts that they're wearing and the, of like the white players and like Coach Yost is, and it says Hammond High School right. was one of the other of those three schools. And it was prim- like almost all white. So mm-hmm. those guys coming from Hammond, even though the other schools had integrated, they were still used to basically being an all white school. And they were so it was kind of like an integration for them being consolidated with the other schools and with with, you know, the black people and black players so i just thought it was a good good little detail they threw in there and I, lo- I love too though the fact that obviously they're they're taking sides to an extent here a lot of the players but for the main characters that we follow you can see they're also very fearful of losing like you said starting positions so that's almost almost at the top of their priorities regardless of race they're like i can see the fact that these players come from these schools that we already know the teams and the quality they're coming from. Like there's full potential that I'm not going to be the starter that I am here at Hammond. So yeah, that's first and foremost, let's get that out of the way and taken care of. Yeah. But then, but then, yeah, we, we go from that, you know, there, there's the rise, the players try to go and then immediately go into meeting coach Boone for the first time. And it's kind of also the players meeting him for the first time, some of them, but it's also the first time him meeting coach Yost and he in in the room that they're in he is the only black person in the room and yeah. you can just feel the i don't know the weight on his shoulders from that scene they're just like he's just standing there by himself and all of these these white players these white coaches come into the coaching offices already heated and he's just there for a meeting yeah. and them telling him that you know we're we're already we're already well staffed here. We don't need you. And no matter what the board has said about the position that you have afforded to you, we're all set. And Coach Yost is the best and we don't even need any of your help or plays or whatever you got coming. And I love what he says that he, you know, continues just to remain, remain humble and teachable and just says that what an opportunity for me then to learn from the best. What an opportunity for me then to learn the best he's so calm and collected that whole time right you know the first thing that they're as they walk in the room you know gary's saying i'm not going to play for any of those black animals and mm. certainly mm. time for us like when we pause the movie it's like okay here's here's the first of many things that you will hear black people called in this movie that are not okay and here's why and so yeah that was and but yeah he he never loses his cool when it comes to that stuff, like he just, he remains. And I know part of that, and it's and sadly so, but like, I think a lot of black people have learned that like, they don't do that just because it's like, oh, they're just a the calm person. They realize that in some situations they have to, because if they do anything to provoke somebody, it's not going to go well for them unfairly but you know if somebody decides like oh you're gonna come at me and then like they could like just beat him up and in that culture like nobody's probably gonna do anything about it right and even now like and there's the scene later on where julius the police officer talk stops and talks to to julius you can just tell his demeanor in that scene he's like he's so nervous he's stuttering Mm -hmm. because he knows what could happen yeah 
and this is, you know, this is obviously where we're talking about something, the way things were back then in this culture, like, you know, we're not going to get too far into like how things are today, just because that's not the topic of what we're talking about. But we, you know, we, that was another pausing opportunity Mm -hmm. Um, and to talk to the, our kids about that and about, you know, that, that is still something that black people deal with today. And it's, it's not, not fair. It's very sad, but that is still a reality. Yeah. And our sons, I mean, they know about, you know, the civil war and, and slavery and how that all came to, to an end, but they associate that with being so far back. And like you said, like this was 50 years ago in reality of the time that we've been here on this earth and the time since this nation has been, I mean, that's not that long ago. Right. And so again, like trying to have the conversation with our kids about it, it, it still is a thing and it might not look like it did back then exactly because of culture and context and all that kind of stuff, but it still, it still does take place. So yeah. it it is important for us to talk about these things and see these films for what they are. And so, yeah, so we get that, we get that, you know, immediately intro to the hostility. And then just like a great Disney film, we've got some comic relief and some great character analysis here. So oh, we yeah. get into the first scene with the, with the players that are coming in from the other schools who the, uh, who the white players are afraid of losing their positions to some awesome, awesome interactions here, some hilarious interactions and some familiar faces too, with some of the characters that we see that become obviously beloved characters in the film. But, but yeah, we get an intro. I mean, the first one is the intro to Donald Faison as Petey. Yeah. Petey Jones running back the running back y'all. Petey Jones running back. The running back, y'all. Hey, Petey, how many guys are you going to get this season? Oh, uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm thinking like a thousand. <laughs> hey, yo, Petey, how many yards you think you're going to get this season, bro? You know, I ain't want to brag, Big Blue, but I figure on at least a uh, thousand. But I ain't want to brag. Well, I mean, we know, we know, we know Donald Faison from Scrubs, which is, I'm sure we'll have to discuss rewatching at some point. Such a great show in itself, but... Man, he plays this character so well from a lot of different angles. Mm-hmm. Not just the humor, comic relief at all, but he's he's got a lot to his story here. And then we got, man, so good. That interaction between him and Denzel when he first comes in the room. Like, finally, after being named the head coach, he's taken over. He is the law and comes yeah. into the room and just commands the presence of those players. Right. When he makes it very clear immediately that, like, they're not going to get special treatment because he's black and they're black. Mm-hmm. Like they're not like he is the coach of a football team, regardless of the race of the players. Like this is how he's going to be no matter what. And yeah, Denzel Washington is, I mean, obviously in this whole movie, he's, he's amazing, but yeah, his, this interaction between him and Petey is so good. No, make up your mind. No, no. Think since you're thinking now go on. Think. No, is no. it fun? No, sir. No, no, sir. Absolutely not. Zero fun, sir. All right, listen up. And I, I will say, like, I I remember whenever I did see this movie, I, I knew Donald Faison from this before I ever saw him in Scrubs. I, I think Scrubs started in, like, 2001, so he probably got this, like, just coming off of Remember the Titans. But, yeah, I know that was when I first saw Scrubs. I was like, oh, that's Petey from Remember the Titans. But, yeah, the put your hand down and, you know, the whole, like, you think football is fun yes or no and just on and on they go and zero fun sir obviously that's kind of an iconic scene from that movie then we get 
the introduction of Ethan Suplee's character, Louis Lastic, who's, you know, a white guy whose military family just moved in. He obviously does not come in with all the other baggage, Mm-mm. other white players. Like, he clearly comes from a family or a culture or wherever where they don't look down on black people just because they're black. Right. And he's like, you know, I'm just here to play, play football. That's it. White or black, it doesn't matter. But so it's 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 fun to have a, a character like him from the beginning mm-hmm. who's caught up in all that. You know, he does kind of get caught in the middle sometimes, but not because oh, for sure. he says or does. So he's a little bit, just a, kind of a nice role that kind of anchors the themes of the story throughout being kind of like, like a middleman or whatever you want to call it. And I guess I will say, and I'm just kind of realizing this now, I think probably the reason I, I think that is because it's it gives us somebody to identify with watching the film like right oh that's who i'd be i'd be the one in the movie that's not a racist and peaceable one yeah like it's it's easy to say that you know just watching thinking like well i didn't grow up in the south you know i i wasn't raised to be racist i don't don't think that way or whatever but yeah it's it's just it's interesting to he kind of is that person that as a white person watching the film you can identify with be like oh yeah he's he's got it right he he knows what he's doing Right. Great. Yeah. I like how you said that. Like he does, there are different characters who are meant to be identified as one side or the other, but for for somebody who's never been involved in anything like that or who does have that viewpoint of sort of middle of the road peacemaker sort of mindset, their whether through upbringing or just their mentality, there are roles like this throughout the film or any film like this that will kind of anchor that point of like there are people like this. You know, it, it reminds me of, of this quote I heard once from Fred Rogers from, you know, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood or whatever. And he he grew up in a time where he was always just seeing either war or violence or a lot of things on TV. And his mom always encouraged him that when you see these troubling situations, to look for look for the helpers in the situation and identify with those. And so it's, it is interesting to like look at this film and see that there are, there's not just one side or the other, but there are those that are striving for peace and and so many things so yeah yeah it, and it just makes him a lovable character he's such a great addition to this cast and the team oh yeah uh, yeah i love what he brings to the role and so yeah ethan, yeah. ethan yeah. suppley's had a pretty cool career but this was definitely a good good way to, for everybody to find him yeah he's like a scene stealer in a lot of the you know like oh, the yeah. cafeteria scene at the football camp and then the locker room scene mm-hmm. like, yeah he's just he's a lot of fun and yeah, yeah, as you said, Ethan Suplee, man, he's lost so much weight now. It's amazing. Like he didn't look like the same person. But then you hear him talk and like, oh yeah, that is the same guy. He's, That's he's you, yeah. like he always did, but it's yeah. really amazing what like the transformation that he's gone through. Well, you talk about camp. I mean, when the players head to camp, there's a lot of huge things that happen there. And oh, yeah. we we saw Coach Boone interact with with the black players there at the beginning and kind of put them in their place and tell them what's what. And then yep. we have his first interactions with some of the white players from from the team, two that have already met him, obviously in the in the coach's office at the beginning scene there. But now he has he has that interaction with with Ray and and Gary as they try to approach him and tell him what's what and kind of say that these are the positions that we need for our guys. These are the ones that you can have. Yeah. And them fully expecting probably from their like from their fathers, their upbringing, whatever that yeah. You, you get to have the say in what's what, and you get to tell them what to do. Right. Yeah. And he says, you know, like we don't need, need any of your people, you know, we're the defense, we're all covered. You can maybe have a few, few positions on, 
on special the teams. Yeah. Yeah. This, this whole thing, he does the whole like Gary or like Jerry, Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin thing. Yeah. But then, you know, the whole like, the, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy, Gary? You got your brothers on the team and you got your daddy. Now you know who your daddy is, right? Who's your daddy, Gary? Who is your daddy? Who's your daddy, Gary? You are. <laughs> that is such a good, good little back and forth. And the, just yeah. the, like Ryan Hurst, who plays Gary, plays it so well. Like he's just such a like little like puppy with his tail between his legs at that mm -hmm. point his head down and he's obviously humiliated in front of his mom and all the other families and everything. But that of course leads to, you know, coach Boone making the decision to, instead of the players basically being totally segregated on the bus, you know, offensive players, defensive players, and he pairs them off to sit on the bus, but then also to room room together for the duration of the camp, which yeah. that is something I read that really did happen. And obviously was a really, really smart move on his part. To, it's kind of the first the first thing that you see him do to really try to break down the walls between the the black players and the white players and and get them on the on the road to you know becoming bonded and yeah change the culture a team yeah yeah and it gives us the opportunity for it to be the first time that we see Julius interacting with Gary and kind of beginning one of the focal relationships in the movie yeah yeah they're they end up being roommates so we get julius calling gary superman for the first time when they're in their room because he's hanging up that picture oh yeah and gary's like take that down i'm looking looking at that for two weeks man he's like well you better use your x-ray vision superman because <laughs> it's not coming down <laughs> and that you know they start a big fight and i love the way ryan gosling he finds him he just goes out to the hall he's like fight <laughs> so nonchalant about it because everybody's expecting it anyway right Bye! And I love the the next the next scene, kind of the speech from Coach Boone that that leads into when he's talking to them about like how to harness their aggression, control, and their anger. You're angry. Team effort. Yep. You know? Yeah. Yep. And that and that line that I think everybody remembers from the from that speech is that we will be perfect in every aspect of the game. And yep. you think he's just talking about football, but I mean it leads it throughout every aspect of who they are as people in life. And obviously that affects the game, but them coming together and just, you know, you strive for perfection in your relationships and how you deal with this hostility and all this stuff going on around you. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I thought that was really a good way to show that him and him and Coach Yost are going to find a way to make, make sure that that works beyond football. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You miss a block, you run a mile. We will be perfect in every aspect of the game. You drop a pass, you run a mile. You miss a blocking assignment, you run a mile. You fumble the football, and I will break my foot off in your John Brown hind parts. And then you will run a mile. Perfection, gentlemen. Let's go to work. <laughs> and Petey felt that later, obviously. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I love the the scene in the, the cafeteria. You know, I mentioned that earlier, sort of with Louis Lastic, but mm -hmm. you know, where he, he sits down with Julius and rev and you know julius is like what you doing why don't you sit over there with your people he's like i don't have anybody i'm like i'm with everybody you know and then they get in the whole scene where he's like he's just another blessed child and god's loving family and then he's you know he says he's just a, a light-skinned brother light-skinned brother I'm a dark -skin mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
come before you today and ask you to soften Big Julius Campbell heart. Uh, <laughs> that was another one where we had to explain what, why white people get called crackers sometimes and why that's mm. not a word that we want to use. But No. Um, nope. But yeah, and then, you know, as you were saying, how they, they really are invested in these guys, not just as football players, but as young men, because, you know, then Coach Boone goes into the whole thing with, with Louis Elastic and interviewing him in front of everybody. And then he kind of, you know, whispers to him, like, you know, bring me your test scores every week. We'll go over them together. We're going to make sure that you're, you know, you're going to maintain a C average and go to college if, right. if you can. That, like, eligibility won't be the issue about not going right. to college. That was amazing. I thought that was a really good way to highlight, like you said, about how it's 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 not just about seeing them as football players, but as young men being prepared to be men, you yeah. know, and to and to care for themselves. And I, I thought that was really good. But going back to mentioning Gosling here, obviously, like you know, we've talked about for a lot of this movie so far, you can pretty much just name a lot of the people that you've seen who you've you've seen them in things since. Remember the Titans, and I don't remember seeing. And this is just me and my me and my lack of film knowledge here, but I don't remember seeing Ryan Gosling in a whole lot prior to seeing this movie. No, and this was this was a great launching pad for him, and just yeah. showing his versatility, his you know his his comedic timing and everything. And mm-hmm. he's done obviously, you know, we know now, everybody knows now. He's done so much since then. Most right. recently, I guess, yeah, he was in the Barbie movie, you know, right. playing Ken, which I've yet to see, but I can't wait to. But <laughs> I thought it was such a such a cool way to see how he just made the most of this role as Alan and not really, you know, he wasn't pushing for the front, you know, trying to be the center mm-hmm. of everything. He knew his place and his role, but I just thought he was hilarious in this in so many yeah. different ways. Just small bits that he does, you know, whether he's just kind of dancing or being like the guy that just kind of lets everybody know that, hey, people are fighting. And yeah, he just, yeah sat here in this role, bided his time in his career until it finally paid out for him. But yeah. yeah, really great role for him. It's interesting, you know, because his dad is one of the only, you know, we don't see a lot of like the player's parents. You know, we see Gary's mom, you know, we see Julius's dad kind of just in that very first scene where they're all on the street and like, you know, Coach Boone is like, I'm not Dr. King, Jesus Christ or the Easter Bunny. I'm a football coach, you know, and, and I'm not answering your prayers. I'm not a savior or a judge. Jesus Christ, Martin Luther King, or the Easter Bunny. I'm a football coach. That's all. But the he he gets introduced to Julius at that point mm-hmm. earlier on. But Alan's dad is one of the more prominent player parents that we see. You know, there's the earlier scene as well where they're you know they're all kind of basically saying they're going to boycott the season if Yost is not going to be there. Which is then what leads Yost to decide to stay on as an assistant coach, as you know, as Boone had offered him. But he's Alan's dad is one of those that you know he calls him a slur in that scene. Another thing that we another opportunity to explain to the kids, like this is another thing that you don't say that. You know, they called him like a Negro as well, which you know we talk about that too. But yeah, that that scene where he's like he's, and then of course later on he's you know the one that's like yelling at him like when he takes him out of the game mm-hmm. and see him at his office later on because of that. But he's, it's, it's interesting. Cause you, you know, I mean, obviously Alan is kind of with the rest of the white players at the beginning, but he doesn't come across as such a blatant, like sure. caricature of like a white Southern racist in the beginning as a lot of the yeah. other ones. Do it. Those are just his friends yeah. who he's gone to school with his whole life and played with. Like, yeah. 
which it is interesting just in comparison with the way his dad is in those scenes. Yeah, um, very much. His mother must be an angel or something. I don't know. Well, you definitely don't see her around, so. No. But yeah, you're you're right. His his performance in this movie is is certainly like a kind of understated. In the movie, he's obviously not a main character. That you know, it's kind of the point you were making. He does a great job with with the role that he has. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier. Obviously, you mentioned Alan's dad, and then we see Gary's mom, and we see that obviously these these parents who are so rooted in this hostility and hatred have such a hard time coming around to the things that yeah. are being introduced to their kids and the peace and the and the integration and all that and. But it, 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 you know, we, we are shown quite a bit throughout the film, and it's obvious it's the central relationship of the film, but between Julius and Gary and all of their scenes together throughout camp are just, are just excellent, just amazing scenes, the way that they play off of each other, you know, starting obviously the dorm room fight, but then later we see that after, after Coach Boone has told them after that last scene in the cafeteria that you were going to spend time with a player from another race and you're going to come and report to me you know three things about them and you see the the players trying to do that yeah we were talking about gosling obviously he's trying to introduce them to to his kind of music which right. is... <laughs> does the term cruel and unusual punishment mean anything to you <laughs> i don't even have to ask but i will what do you think of this one does the term cruel and unusual punishment mean anything to you but then yeah we got that confrontation after they're in there what three-day, four-day practices, finally, that yeah. they've, they've gone through their up-downs. And yeah, Gary confronts Julius. And it's just like, we're okay, let's just get this out of the way. We're going to get to know each other. Yeah, he accuses Julius of not listening to anybody and not really like looking out for anybody except himself. And, and Julius throws it right back at him. And he tells him, man, you know what? Again, just treating him like he's above him and that Julius is below him, but say that, you know, that's the worst attitude I've ever heard, man. Yeah. Attitude reflect leadership, Captain. And I love it. Yeah, he says, like, you don't listen to nobody, man, not even Doc or Boone, who are the black head coaches. You know, he's making a point like, you are being completely selfish. You leave all your teammates out to dry, you know, me in particular. But yeah, I love that. Love that scene between them. Like, both of those actors are just really good throughout the movie, but they have such a great chemistry together. You know, the way that they go from such animosity to then you know by the end of the film they're they're brothers and they you know they love each other and it's such a fun ride to go on just seeing the development of their relationship throughout the camp and then and then throughout the season as well yeah another the other scene like that that we see is with ray and Petey, and i'm not sure that i fully understood like probably the first time i saw this movie what like the jabs that ray was you know he's like what's your daddy's name oh wait you do have a daddy right and what's what's he do for work or, oh wait he does have a job right like obviously ray is just the worst out of all the racist characters in this movie but i i i don't even know that i fully understood like the context or what like the connotation of those questions he's asking in the way that he's obviously trying to get under you know Petey's skin in that in that moment that was not one though where i like we didn't we didn't talk about that one with the kids. I'm not sure if they would have fully understood. Like I felt yeah. a little bit too, like, I don't know, just wasn't one that we felt like we could explain to them. Cause it would have just been a lot of more like probably context and things that would have been yeah. to really make it make sense. Those are conversations that'll definitely come as they get older. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot spawned there that I'm sure there are a lot of questions that flow out of that. 
And we, we made sure to like, we, we would pause certain things like that and ask like, do you have any questions about what you're seeing or hearing right here? Yeah. Just to make sure, because even if I'm not immediately or we are not immediately prepared for the conversation just yet, or we're still kind of like, how do you, how do you explain that it, at that age, you know, in the context that they have right now? Or what do you wait on, you know, a little bit, but right. yeah, we might, you know, I'm sure you did as well. We, we made sure to just say like, you got any questions? You good? You ready to move on? Let's go to yeah. the next thing, you know? And so, but man, one of the most, one of the most pivotal things that was, I could tell just by looking at my son's face is just like this next, the next thing that we get is the, the, the run to Gettysburg. Yes. And I could just tell that the speech itself is what really like got my son and, you know, he's, he's seven. So he's a little fidgety throughout the film, but he sat completely still as to what was going on right there and what was being said. And he, he knows about obviously like, like our sons do about civil war and Gettysburg and what that is and what the war was about. And so, you know, that, that immediately like triggered his mind to say like, Oh, pay attention here. So so yeah, we we had a good talk about that, but you have a little bit of a connection here to the the speech that happens during this scene, don't you? Yeah, so in freshman year at college, in speech class, one of the types of speeches we had to give, I don't remember, it was just like a like explanatory or expository, I don't I can't remember exactly the type of speech, but basically my speech what I did was just talk about remember the Titans. And I don't know if it was like one of those where you had to like convince somebody to do things. So it was like, I'm going to convince you to watch Remember the Titans. I can't remember, but in that speech, I recited Denzel's Gettysburg speech. Mm -hmm. Quite flawlessly too. It was good. (laughs) Well, thank you. I got chills. The other thing I did was my closing line was like, if, if you, I, I said something like, if you watch it, then I promise you, you will remember forever the time that you watch Remember the Titans. (laughs) <laughs> i think i even pounded the podium when i said that or something like trying you to raised your arms yeah so yeah that was my that was my fun speech in college wow. i remember i remember you reciting the speech i just don't remember the rest of your speech so sorry about that but i really don't remember much else of it either that was definitely <laughs> the most memorable part of it yeah wow yeah but anyway outside of that such a memorable scene yes yeah, great speech. You know, another moment where the score just really takes everything up another level for like just the emotion of it. If we don't come together right now on this hollow ground, we too will be destroyed. Then we get the transition into the the next practice scene, where this is like where we really turn a corner. Yeah, yeah. And after Julius calling out gary and even like calling out in his time where they had that little tiff where he called out ray to gary's face and -hmm. he said that you know he's not blocking it for anybody and you know it and so you know gary obviously having just gone through that hearing that speech from coach boone and hearing all that stuff from julius and you know obviously we got here he took some time to reflect on it because Mm -hmm. immediately when they're in that practice and ray's not doing his job he calls him out in front of everybody yep yep and then he you know he finally tries to like kind of initiate something with julius like the left side strong side left side strong side left side side. 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 and it 
it finally happens. Like they finally start to bond and, you know, coach Yost and, and Boone kind of exchange a look. You kind of see Boone just kind of gives him that little smirk and you can kind of see that Yost is, he's finally starting to come around and see him like, okay, maybe this guy's got something going here. Mm-hmm. And I, I get chills watching that scene every oh, single yeah. And then yep. you really see in the next scene how it's 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 starting to spread like it's rubbing off on the other players most of the other players anyway and this is when we get our introduction to sunshine hey Alex. check what? out the fruitcake <laughs> yeah and then uh, apparently kit pardue the guy that played sunshine actually played quarterback at yale so he apparently can actually throw the ball he knew you what he was doing see, you know they show him from a distance throwing the ball at at the group of players and you can see where it's starting to come down that it's not going to be anywhere near hitting Bertier. But then of course they cut it in close up and it hits Bertier square in the back. Like nice, nice edit there guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, And then Julius is like, Oh, fruitcake, huh? <laughs> <laughs> not always historically accurate or, you know, physically accurate, but right. It's all right. It's a Disney movie. Yeah. And I love how initially they're trying to tell the, sunshine's dad like you might want to check out some other school and he was like i already checked them out like they don't let black players play for them so i was like that wasn't an option and then they see him throw they're like oh yeah i think we can find a spot for him yeah even though they already have their quarterback but right yeah it was, it was, obviously it was, it was like those those issues transcend and those are more than just football so we'll, we'll put, find a spot for you on the team yeah yeah because yeah the- they're really not a throwing team. Like they're a running team. They run like the Veer option or whatever. And it's like kind of old school, you know, high school football before, you know, a lot of high schools didn't have a ton of, you know, downfield passing ability. Yep. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that later on, but this gets us to the locker room scene, which mm-hmm. again, keep saying over and over, but there is a reason it's one of my top 10 movies. It's another iconic scene. You know, we get the PD, you know, going the sunshine, and he's like, "All right, I can dig it." And you know, he's like, "He called me bro." He called me bro. <laughs> <laughs> and then it turns right into the mama jokes. Right. Yes, the mama jokes. And Bertier at first, he's like, "What are you talking about? I don't get it." And then, you know, Lastic does his, and Bertier's like, "No, that's a that's a mama joke." <laughs> <laughs> he's probably not used to people making fun of his mom to his face. Right. What happened to you? <laughs> I just gave your mom a piggyback ride and she weighs twice as much as <laughs> And then we get the, you know, the Ain't No Mountain High Enough, that song where everybody's singing and then you just kind of see Ray is still, he's not, he's not into it. Everybody mm-hmm. together at this point and he's not, he's not doing it. Well, but, it, probably, it probably didn't help that Gary called him out in front of everybody. Obviously for right. somebody like Ray, that's not, might not be the best way to get to him, but it certainly helped the team come together. Yeah. And then Sunshine kisses Bertier. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that happens. Yeah. Another classic moment. I'll be honest, I, we paused it right there, too. Yeah, that was like our, both the boys were like, why did he kiss him? We're like, he's just trying to mess with him. Like, just trying yeah, to. Yeah, yep. Because they called him a fruitcake, which is something that some people would call boys who like other boys. That's You shouldn't call them that, but, you know, that's where that came came from. So that's why he did it. But yeah, that PD in the cafeteria, like, hey man, you're just messing with Bertier. You're not really, not really what? You're like, uh, you, you know, I'm just. It don't matter. It doesn't matter. I, I it doesn't gotta, matter to me. I, just, well, I gotta know. If it doesn't matter, then why you gotta know? 
What do you gotta know? You know what I gotta know. Don't mess with my mind. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I gotta know. Don't mess with my mind. Uh, Donald Faison is great in that scene. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. we, yeah, we we got another uh, Julius and Gary interaction though at the end of camp. They're kind of bringing everybody together as one team. Their right. left side, strong side thing, and then tell me how strong are you feeling? I'm, I'm too, too strong. <laughs> Do you want a victory? I'm too strong. What? I'm, I'm too strong. strong. I'm too Would you say that scene was equivalent to the left side, strong side scene of giving you chills or just some chills? Definitely gives me chills every time. Yeah. I don't know, like more or less the other scene. I'm not sure about that, but yeah, every time. Definitely another chill inducing scene. Talk to us a little bit about that scene ride, that ride home from camp though. And they're trying to teach the song to Gary here. And what's, what's going on here? So yeah, they're, they're singing the, you know, na 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 goodbye. And you can see Rev, he looks, he's, he's clapping and he looks like he's trying to teach Bertier like rhythm or how to clap, but he's clapping on the wrong beat. Oh. So I get there. There's, the I did not catch that. Like, oh, black people have rhythm. White people don't. So it's like Rev is trying to teach Bertier, but he's not clapping on the right beat. So it's like, you're not even teaching him right. And there's some, some of the guys in the back of the bus are, are clapping the right way, but Rev is, and Gary, <laughs> I could maybe, maybe it's just messing with him. I don't know. I maybe I don't know, but it just that always bugs me. I could, couldn't let that pass. But then, yeah. But then camp's over, and immediately we we get the the schools finally coming together. The school year starts. Yep. Louis comes up to PD and says, "What you doing in my school, boy?" I love the way he says that. What you doing in my school, boy? Yeah, that's like so out of character for Elastic to say that you don't even take him seriously. Right. And then possibly my favorite single line. In the whole movie, like just a fantastic line when Petey's like, but there are a lot of pretty women here. That always gets me every time. This is what Petey cares about. Right. Yeah. He can, he can get past the other stuff because there's a lot of pretty girls at the school. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They've already gotten through camp. So, yeah, the hard stuff's over. But then, yeah, we, we get back into reality of a lot of like side characters introduced, you know, more interaction mm-hmm. with the parents and the families and stuff. And. Bertier's girlfriend Emma here kind of being the voice of pretty much everybody else in the town after the players have bonded they're already you know they're past that race stuff and as it comes back they're just not used to everybody else in the town still not being on board and her voicing that you know choosing not to see that it's possible for people to come together to say no Gary they're always going to hate us and she's one of those characters where I'm not sure obviously from the research if she's 100% factual but yeah, she's she's also one of those characters in this movie. I'm like, I mean, she wasn't exactly necessary to the story. You could have totally cut her out of the role, and it would have been fine. You could have yeah. had you could have had Ray saying her lines, and it would have been just about the same. Yeah, but There's other non-football characters who we kind of see that transformation, like Gary's mom, for one, right? Going from you know being just as hateful as everybody to at the end, you know, acknowledging that, you know, Julius and Gary are like brothers and all that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Her character was not super necessary played by uh, Kate Bosworth. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Could have done without her, but she's, she's not terrible. No, uh, no. Acting wise. Yeah. 
Yeah, she does come around. I guess there is that that part after I think it's just after the first game where she tries to get Gary to go with them to like go hang out or whatever, and he's like, yeah. no, "Come with us." So she does kind of represent something that's like he's kind of torn between, you know, his new friends and on the on the football team versus her. It's kind of like something from his old way of life kind of pulling him back. Sure. So, kind of see her as kind of just like a plot device in that way yeah um, i mean it, it could have been but like i said i feel like it could have been either his mom or ray yeah being ray, that too you know with her in that car he's like you right. coming you know obviously ray's a lot more hostile about it but a little bit yeah yeah he's yeah terrible uh so yeah but after the you know after school that you know then we actually get a football game yeah we get right back into football which is great i love football yeah, good first game. You know, I love yeah, I love anything kind of when football comes on the screen in any movie, but I thought they filmed the football scenes pretty well. But we have you know, we, we have obviously Yost coming around. I think he's again, he's one of the people in the film characters of film who's kinda he's come around now. He's beyond all that stuff. And so we have a scene where he immediately sees that in his star player, Alan, in his position, can't keep up. With, yeah. with with their rhythm and what the way things are going and skill-wise with the other team. And so immediately pulls him out and replaces him with, with Petey, who was just pulled out by Boone for not carrying the ball well. Right. Yeah, so Yost was like, all right, you're going to play for me on defense. All you got to do is just stick with this guy. And that ended up being the difference in the game, really. You know, Allen had the self-awareness to know that, like, he's hurting the team. And he's willing to do what it takes for the team, the bet, you know, the for the grit, for the good of the team. Right. He's like, I'll sit on the bench, put Petey in, and that you know makes all the difference, and they end up winning the game. Yep, they celebrate afterwards, but it's not something that obviously happy for the win as Boone was, especially because it meant that his job wasn't immediately on the line. We've got that that brief interaction between him and Yost, kind of coming to an understanding with each other, where. Boone's really explaining to Yost here when they're talking in their offices about the things that the black players have to deal with already, you know, and they don't need to be, they don't need to be coddled. You don't understand the things that they're going through. You don't understand the things that we are needing to teach them, you know, about life. This isn't just about football. I don't need you to coddle them because what you're doing is you're just crippling them and you're not just crippling them as football players. You're crippling them for life. Yeah. I thought that was, you know, an, uh, one of many scenes in which Boone had to kind of talk to or show Yost that like you have no, you almost have no idea about what we go through. Right. So don't, don't just assume that your way of dealing with things is going to work. Yeah. Hey, Taking like, a, I come down on every player. I come down on Bertier. I don't see you going and consoling him. Like which players are you talking about Yost? You know, it's like, I may be a mean cuss, but I'm the same mean cuss with everybody on the team. And yeah, he realizes that like he's your what you're doing is not gonna gonna help them in the long run. And then we have Petey almost. I think it's almost immediately in the next scene, the next morning at school. I think it's immediately after this scene where all of the the girls are fawning over Sunshine because he's doing his uh, what is he doing out in the yard there? I don't know what it is, but it's not yoga. A tai think Tai Chi. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, you can see that Petey. PDC's uh, sunshine is a little bit of a threat here. Oh, yeah. He's a Californian. Oh, no, you don't understand. Yeah, a California dreamboat. No, sunshine is from California. 
He's a Californian. He's a Californian. He's like, are you talking about girl? I don't see any livestock around, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't see any livestock around here, so I don't know what you're talking about. Starts this big fight, and, and we should mention that, like, part of this, you know, we have the scene after the game where Sunshine tries to take them into that restaurant. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, like, you know, they don't want us in there. And he's like, no, no, it's fine. It's like, and then so they, they do it. They get kicked out because they're black. And and then they're like, that kind of starts a little bit of a division again amongst the team. You know, like they're between, you know, like Julius and Bertier even kind of there's a little bit of another, a new rift between them because he didn't show up. Yeah, they just kind of get split up again. And then we see that happening, you know, in this, again, in this back to the school scene where they kind of fight. And then, you know, Julius gets called an Uncle Tom because for him, it's not just a black versus white fight. He's just trying to break the guys up. Right. And, but then, you know, we see the second game was really bad. Like they still won, you know, but they're like, they're all out of sorts. You know, like Julius says something to Bertier on the sideline. And he's like, don't talk to me, man. You got nothing to say to me. You know, just just like if they and they're like, we play like this against Groverton, we're going down. And that which leads to this players only meeting, which is yet again, another great scene. Yep. Rev, what is that thing you're always telling me when I'm getting down on myself about my grades? <laughs> those, I can't, I can't remember the first line, but those who try to support and he keeps. No, I knew their strength. Yeah. <laughs> they will soar on wings like eagles. Like eagles, y'all. Like eagles, y'all. <laughs> Uh, that's again another scene stealing from from Luke uh, Louis Lastic. Mm-hmm. So I love Blue and that that his whole speech and like y'all think we done want something and we ain't want nothing y'all and he's just like I love the the whole like you know players only meeting we hear that all the time in sports like when like if a team's not doing well oh they had a players only meeting and but this is a really cool example of like you know they're like they're taking ownership mm-hmm. and they were coaches can't fix everything and like we got to take responsibility and and you know we can do better and i think that's a good mention of the the players only meeting and how that was necessary to kind of to for them to carry what their coaches had already been telling them and mm-hmm. for them to finally say it in the way that they needed to hear it as players and and hear it from each other which, which i think was pivotal but yeah i mean the the scene highlights elastic and then obviously rev is highlighted there with him yeah and, and then blue. Yeah. and blue Yep, but we see we see something happen to to Rev immediately in the next game here. Yeah, we get the you know this is where they decide to do the you know the different warm up or like entrance and warm up uh, and uh, so yeah the the opposing coach tells his star defensive players like shut them up hard mm-hmm. and of course Ray being the exemplary player and teammate he is and he you know he injures Rev. You know, Rev is, is, he's got a broken wrist and he's like, he's not going to be throwing the ball again this year. Mm. Well, she didn't need to because we have sunshine. Yeah. So all of a sudden this, this team that has been a pretty much like a, an option veer running team all season with sunshine, all that, all that we've seen sunshine practice is trying to get the pitch down for the option. Right. Never thrown a pass that we've seen in practice, but now all of a sudden when sunshine's in the game. Now all of a sudden they're a downfield passing team. Sorry, I, this is like the one nitpick I had to get in there. Like you know, most of the football action looks okay for the most part, but this is like oh, all of a sudden they're like you know, that's uh, what they needed. Yeah, it's like man, you guys should have been doing this all year, but right, right, you've 
it's it's not realistic for a team to just completely change their entire offensive philosophy mid game like that. And uh, but you know, it's fine. It still makes for a good moment. Oh it's, sure. You know, sunshine is telling Lastic like just let him through. Just let him through. Yeah, seeing him demolish that one dude. Yeah, and like and the coach is trying. Right, roughness on the quarterback. You kidding me, coach? So then then the game goes much better from that point on. But yeah, we obviously Gary takes note of why Rev got injured in the first place. I mean, he already kind of knew what was going on with Ray, but he takes specific note of it here because obviously it, it cost them a star player, but yep. it it wasn't just about one football player causing an injury to another. Like there's still hatred being motivated here and Gary knows that it has no place on this team. Yep. Yeah, and despite, you know, coach Boone in at camp you know, tells the team like he, his philosophy is that he will never cut a player because it's a public school, whatever Gary, you know, he goes to, to coach Boone and says, we need to get right off the team. He knows he missed that block, that block on purpose and he needs to go. And so Boone gives him the authority, like, you know, my philosophy. So you, you're the captain. So you make a decision and you, you back that decision up and that's exactly what Gary does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love the way that he does it. He's resilient. He everything that Ray throws at him, he's got just a solid, straight up answer for it. Yep. And he doesn't doesn't back down no matter the attacks that come at it from his from his friend or former friend here. Yep. But I would I would like to at least kind of highlight like we've we've made mention of the fact that there are fictional things within this historical story. You know, a lot of liberties taken, and so some of the characters are completely made up just as devices in the story itself right. and some of those being ray alan alan's dad coach tyrell a lot of these individuals who seem like they're extremes well they are they're extreme representations of things that were realistic or that were definitely part of that era or part of even people's mentality nowadays yeah so they are they are side characters and they are illustrations but they are they are purely illustrations I think to show, you know, we've talked about this, to show that there are, no matter the era, no matter the time, it's clear to see that there are individuals like this. And there are some people that will not, despite all of the truth that's thrown their way, despite all of the, the peace that can be seen, the love that can be shown, there are some people that just will not let go of deep-seated hatred or pride or hostility and do not, do not want to have someone else tell them, that it's it's okay to change. It's time to change, and they just won't let that go. So I, I think for certain characters like Ray, that's kind of why they're here in the story. Yeah, yeah. We haven't really said anything about Coach Tyrell at all. You know, he was in that scene at the beginning when they first meet. You know, Coach Boone, and of course we have that scene between him and Coach Yost at the diner. You know, he's Coach Yost. You know, said that Nikki and Cheryl are are playing together and. Tyrell's like, all right, I'm done. Like, you know, he's like, you're going to throw away everything. Kind of like between Ray and Gary as well. It's kind of the same thing. Like, are you choosing them over me? And it's like, no, it doesn't have to be a choice. Like, I'm not, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be us or them, but they mm -hmm. just see it that way. And so that's, you know, kind of the end of, of Coach Tyrell there, which, you know, good riddance. Yeah. But the scariest thing is the fact, like, when, when Alan's dad goes after Alan gets benched, and he goes in the office and, you know, after he leaves, they're like, well, I guess we won't be seeing him again. And Coach Yost is like, I will. He's on the deacon board with me. I'm like, oh, great. Like, that guy is on the deacon board of a church. And right. just, obviously, I'm, that was just pervasive everywhere. Whether mm -hmm. it be, 
churches, politics, anywhere, like, and that's a pretty scary thought. Well, even in that earlier scene, too, between Gary and his mom, where he's trying to convince her, like, just get to know Julius. Just get to know him. Just take a chance. And she obviously clearly make, makes it clear she doesn't want to get to know him. And instead of allowing him to go be with Julius, to be peaceable, to show love and interact, she just says, you know what? You're going to come to church with me instead. Right. Like, People are going to church with your mother. Yeah. So like instead of instead of like demonstrating peace and love, come to come to church with me where we're gonna be hostile and prideful, you know. Yeah. Like probably the same church where Alan's dad is on the deacon board. Yeah. Um, yeah, probably in a town like that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's that's uh it's, it's just sad. Yeah. I was thinking about when they call or Julius calls Gary Superman. He does it one more time. He goes to his house and you know, we mentioned the scene where the police officer stops and you know, you think he might be like Julius thinks he might be getting in trouble, but he just calls him, you know, he just says like, heck, we're going a game you guys played, you know, best defense I've seen in 20 years or whatever. And this is, uh, you know, kind of going back off of what we were saying earlier with, with Gary's mom, he was going to his house and he, you know, just walks in the house and gives her a big hug and picks her up. He's kind of been like, you know, this is, this is how it's going to be, you know, like I'm yep. your son is my brother and we're going to be family. Yeah. And she leans, leans right into it. And it, it's just, it's huge. Like it, it does show again, like there are, there are the peaceful ones. There are the hostile ones. They're the ones on either side, but they're also the ones that do come around. And we see that through Gary's mom. We see that through coach Yost and a lot of different things happen to coach Yost. I'm not sure exactly the, again, the historical accuracy of this one. I know that he, he was a great coach and he had hall of fame potential and he learns during uh, this particular game where his the basically the hall of fame committee is going to like take care of him or whatever it's going to make sure he gets his job back and whatnot and he's basically told just to like step out of the way we're going to take care of it we're going to make sure we've rigged a way to make sure that boone loses the job and you'll be back in as head coach yep and you can immediately tell that that does not sit right with him at all no yeah he's he's finally you know he's He's on the right side of things. You know, he may not be like 100% there yet, but, you know, he's he understands like Boone is a big part of the reason why they've made it this far with their team. And he's, you know, he, as badly as he wants the Hall of Fame, he's not willing to do it not like that. You know, it becomes clear very quickly that they paid the refs to, you know, to call the game in favor of the other team. You know, the coach on the other team is the one that, you know, he calls Coach Boone a monkey. And then Yost finally calls him out. He goes and talks to the refs and threatens to go to the papers if they don't stop it because they're calling a penalty on like every play against the Titans. And then we have this epic speech that he gives the defense after he talks to the ref. I forget everything he says in that speech other than he's just whatever comes to first in my mind is that you blitz all night. Yeah. He's like, I don't want them to gain another yard. No. I don't want them to gain another yard. You blitz all night. And if they cross the line of scrimmage, I'm going to take every last one of you out. You make sure they remember forever the night they played the Titans. Which I thought that would be the only title drop in the movie, but it's not. But yeah. <laughs> it definitely was a good one. Yeah. And then, you know, you get, obviously, the game turns from there. The refs start calling a more fair game, and they just start. Gets a little violent. You get that one kind of cringy moment where Gary just runs over and just points at the opposing coach. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but 
<laughs> a true, like in true Disney sports movie fashion, because it's a good shot. Yep, let's get the player pointing. Right, and then you got the in the post game, the banana, the you know, Coach Boone tosses the banana at the other coach because he called him a monkey. Yep, little little. Extreme. But then, but then bringing it all back, like you said, immediately after the game, everybody's celebrating. We think everything is good, and Gary just in the midst of paying attention to people celebrating him heartbreaking obviously the the truck hits him and he's in the in the hospital for whatever reason he's just like wants to like leave town or something you know tries to get julius to go with him he's like no i gotta hang with my girl and so gary just leaves and you know gets in the accident so then we we kind of we really turned gears and we had the there was like the big montage scene where they kind of show where they go from being like three and oh to nine and oh and keep going right right the playoffs now so a lot of time has passed over the season but this was this was kind of you know a, a turning point where things for a little bit you know feel pretty bleak you know after after he gets in the accident but. such a i mean we've talked about the actors of julius and and gary but especially in this post-accident scene where julius shows up at the hospital it is just so so heartbreaking and we learned that through coach boone talking to julius that he's it's not just an accident that he's going to immediately just recover from, but that he's paralyzed from the waist down. Yeah. And just a heartbreaking portrayal by by Wood Harris here coming in as Julius and just finding that out for the first time about his best friend. Yeah. Yeah, they made it all this way, and then there's this, you know, obviously this catastrophic thing that happens, you know, and, and reality, Bertier's accident didn't actually happen until the season was over. So he didn't miss any of the games, you know, in the in the season like it is in the movie, but obviously for the sake of like the dramatic tension of the movie, it, it makes right. sense make that change. But yeah, then this is where we get the, another callback to Superman. You know, Julius goes in the room and, you know, he's like, only Ken's allowed in here. And, he, you know, and that's when Gary calls him. That's my brother. And he's like, you can't be hurt. You're Superman. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, this, this whole exchange, you know, again, it's following that progression from how they were when they first met. Mm-hmm they're at now it's just one of the the best parts of the movie just how how they've developed this relationship to this point i grew up thinking this movie was about denzel washington but then you see it when you're older and you have relationships and things and you realize like julius and gary like they're the main the main parts here their their struggle in the beginning and them coming around at the end and like i mean heck the the teams at his funeral at the very beginning and the very end of the movie so i mean like it's their relationship is what truly illustrates the point that's being tried to made here. Yeah. Just such a, such a beautifully well done, well acted scene between the two of them Yeah, where Gary tells him, I'm sorry, Julius, you know, I only saw what I was afraid of and truly, truly embodying what the rest of his town is doing, but I only saw what I was afraid of. And now that I know I was only hating my brother. Yeah. Just huge. I was afraid of you, Julius. I only saw what I was afraid of. And I don't know, I was only hating my brother. I love what Julia says, too. You know, it's like, there's going to be none of this black and white. Like, we're going to get old, we're going to get fat, and we're just going to get old together. Like, I love that that sentiment. You know, like, even even this, even beyond football, like, we're still brothers. Like, you know, this isn't just because you can't play football anymore doesn't mean that's going to be the end of of our relationship like we're still we're just getting started you know yeah when all this is over 
and you gonna move out the same neighborhood together. Okay, and um, we'll get old, we gonna get fat. And ain't gonna be all this black white between us. They'll only known each other a few months. And so I just love that kind of, again, the bigger picture going beyond football. Yeah. But then we get right back to football after all of that. Here comes the state championship. Time for the state championship. Versus Marshall. Yep. Gary has to watch from his hospital room. Uh, We do get, you know, another little Emma moment where she finally is kind of showing that she's coming around a little bit and goes and, you know, shakes Julius's hand finally, which she refused to do, you know, on the first day of school. That's true. Yeah. And, you know, part of that probably because of what happened to Gary, you know, she she had told him before he got in his accident, you know, like, I think it's going to take a little longer than you might like, but like, I'm, I'm trying. I'm going to try. And to her credit, she does. Yeah. And maybe that's why she was in the film, because we definitely weren't going to see Ray come around and shake Julius's hand. So maybe that's what that's what Emma was for. Yeah, you couldn't have paid it off with Ray as well. Too much hate. Unless him getting kicked off the team was finally the turning point for him to realize like, okay, maybe it's, it's my priority priorities that are mixed up. Like, you know, Emma says to Gary, but either way it's, you know, nice moment. Yeah. Gary, like you said, Gary gets to watch from his room and wants to watch it in perfect peace. Even when the nurse tries to come in to check on him, he immediately kicks her out, throws something at the wall. I think it's a football. Right. Do not come in here. Because I mean, for at least from the way that they, the way that they film it, you're thinking that like, man, it's getting pretty dire here for the Titans in the championship game. Like they're about to lose. Yeah. And this is kind of another nitpicky moment for me from a football. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So like Marshall is like lining up in shotgun and Yost is like, where do they think they are? The New York jets. And they act like it's, you know, they they're down six touchdowns at halftime, but it's only seven, nothing at halftime. Right. But if anything, Yost's defense is doing just fine. Pretty darn good. Yeah. Struggling like the offense hasn't scored, but yet they're acting like it's Yost that's the main problem. You know, like Cheryl is like, you know, he's got Boone's number for sure, but like you gotta, you know, set your pride aside and go ask for help. Like I don't think he's the one that needs help. It's the you know, it's it's Boone and his offense that need to step things up. So considering all they could get was a field goal. Yeah, they end up kicking a field goal and it's like, okay, that you know, we haven't haven't seen them have a kicker all year, but I guess, you know based on the scores and some of the other games that they at least have been kicking extra points. But yeah. So then, you know, the the way the rest of the game goes, they're still down seven to three. They, they don't have the ball. So all Marshall has to do is just run out the clock. So then we get like the guy running. And this is one of those scenes as far as football action goes, that is kind of tough to watch because you got Julius somehow running all the way up to catch up with this guy and, you know, forcing a fumble. And not that that doesn't happen every once in a while, but pretty, a little bit. It's just, it's not great. But, um, you know, so then they get the ball back and they have time to run one last play to win the state championship. You know, they're what, like they're 80 yards away. They have to score a touchdown. So, you know, another Disney moment for sure. Oh, yeah. that's I, lo- but, I love that it's the announcer that says it too. Just like, here we go, everybody, with one... One final play for the state championship. Like, oh, yeah, we didn't already know that. But okay, thank you. I will say I do, as far as the stuff like who needs help, Boone or Yost, as far as the offense struggling, I do like that he goes to a trick play 
which is, you know, goes back to the scene in camp where Yost tries to introduce some trick plays to Boone and he's like, no, nah, we yeah. don't need like we're good. We run a simple offense, works all the time. So but he's like, you gotta throw something at him that he's not not expecting. So he finally go he calls a trick play, they run the reverse with Rev, which is not you know, obviously Rev's been on the bench since he got hurt, but like he can't throw the ball, but he can still hold the football and he can still run. And I love that on that play that Sonny, the quarterback or Sunshine is out running ahead, throwing big blocks ahead yep. of him. Like, like, man, he's fast too. What this guy, he can do it all. But so then, of course, they do. They score the winning touchdown as time expires to win the state championship, and it's a happy ending for all. It for is that. beautiful ending, and obviously, we find out eventually that here's where they reference that eventually Gary did pass away. Yeah, if you know that they were gathered for at the beginning. They are gathered for here at the end is Gary's funeral. We see. Just the entire team coming together. Cheryl's obviously been the one making the narration the whole time. You know, and she reveals a few details here, but we see Julius, just an awesome scene, just him together with Gary's mother right there at the funeral, clearly years later. And yeah, it's 10 years later. Yep. Yeah. And then he starts, Julius starts humming the song. Right. Yeah. It's a great, I love, love the use of na 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 goodbye, you know. Or of a, a somber, slower version of it is it felt perfect for for that that scene. Yeah, this by this time, you know, ten years later, most of these guys like they would have been like, you know, obviously finished high school, finished college, they went to college, and you know, moving on with their you know like professional adult lives. Uh, it's obviously really cool to see them all come back together, even if it's for a you know obviously a sad reason. And especially the fact that he died in another accident. It was a drunk driver that you know, says at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. That killed him. Like, man, that's really yeah. sad. I love, though, that he didn't, you know, he didn't give up. And that Yost coached him in Special Olympic Games. Yeah. The, the Wheelchair Olympic Games, you know, and he continued just to keep going. Like, it yeah. did not, just as it's shown in the movie, he did not slow down. He right. did not give up, didn't lose heart. Right. I'm hurt. I ain't dead, you know. Right. Like, yep. He's looking ahead. I did want to mention you know, just that last interaction between Yost and Boone after they win, you know, Yost admits, he's like, you, what you did with those boys, you were the right man for the job. And, you know, he's, and then Yost or Boone says back to him, you know, you're a hall of famer in my book. You know, great, great way to end it. Uh, one other, you know, tidbit from real life is that the real final score of that state championship game was the Titans won 27, nothing. So it, it wasn't quite the way it was portrayed. Yeah. So, yeah, we get the little, you know, tidbits about a lot of the characters of like what they went on to do after, yeah. after you know. All the uh, all the postscript at the end there. Yeah. So I, I enjoy when movies do that. You kinda, you know, get to know what, what became of the different characters. Yeah. As if you weren't gonna cry already. Yeah. These people are real, man. And some of them are still alive. Yeah. Like sad. You've got like I in doing some of like the research about the history of this movie that Cheryl she died when she was only 34. Yeah, from a heart condition. Yeah, like an undetected heart condition. So yeah, she she died really young. Um, I know that both, you know, it says that Boone retired, or, you know, quote-unquote retired, after five seasons of being there. And then, but him and Coach Yost, they continued doing things together, whether it was, I think it was like, whether it was like football camps or um, speaking engagements and things. So they... I don't know if they remain close, but they at least continued working together and showing unity in that front. But they, but again, another sad point is they both passed since the movie came out in 2019. 
yeah, they both both died in the same year after all that time. But you know, they they at least seem to live good long lives and died at a more natural age. Yeah, hopefully continuing to instill in in others like the things that they espoused as coaches and and at least in their representations in this movie. So yeah, yeah, I I, I will say before we get close to finishing up here that this is definitely not you know, viewed from the outside, but once you see it, this is definitely not exclusively a movie about about football. And it's not exactly a movie that also, as we've talked about and discovered for ourselves, not a movie that prides itself on always getting the facts straight. But all in all, it is a movie that it, it tells a story about, you know, the pain that surrounds racial divisions and hostility and hate and the healing that can take place. And they simply use football and kind of like the bones of a of a true story in order to use that as a vehicle to tell the story, be that as it may, it's still a great football movie. Absolutely. Yeah. And after, after watching it this time around, would you say for yourself that it's solidified in your top 10? Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. I love this movie, you know, between all the, the quotes and just the scenes that give you chills and I just, all the dramatic moments and the football, like it's, yeah. The, the characters and the character development that you see in this movie, obviously the acting performances, Denzel Washington, Wood Harris, and Ryan Hurst. And it's a uh, yeah, fantastic movie. Absolutely still one of my favorites. Really glad we got to watch it again and got this chance to talk about it. It's yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Glad we got to watch it with our sons too. It's such a, yeah. a great thing to do with our kids. Yeah, definitely. So if you're listening out there and have enjoyed what we're doing so far, uh, just a reminder, if you don't mind, you know, go to our Facebook page there and back again and again, like that page, leave us a review, a rating, and then go, you know, subscribe to the podcast on Apple or uh, Spotify, leave us reviews and ratings there and just help us spread the word, you know, share the page, invite your friends to like it. If uh, again, if you like what you're doing and leave us some comments on the page and let us know what you like, what you don't like. You know, we're just getting started, but we're having a blast. So I hope you're uh, enjoying it as well. Wherever you are, we are glad that you are here with us. Here at the end of this podcast. Mm-hmm.